0: The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. Glad to be here with you. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. And I keep being told by our chat room that I can't mention the C word, the one that ends in virus. Uh, okay, so I won't. That just take, that takes out uh, the first part of the show, so we'll just move on from there. But in all seriousness, I hope everybody's being safe and not going too crazy. I don't get the toilet toilet paper thing. I do not understand for the life of me how something so um, plentiful is has disappeared from all our stores. Why hoard, if anything, toilet paper? I do not get this. I don't understand. I've seen people. Uh, sending pictures you know, over, uh, posting them on social media about uh, uh, store aisles, you know, the, the, the toilet paper and paper towel aisles, I think. They're completely bare. People must have, like, thousands of rolls of toilet paper in their pantries or basements or whatever. I don't know what they're expecting. So I'm either thinking, okay, these people are ridiculous, or they know something I don't know, and I don't know which is the case, and it makes me a little bit nervous. But I think that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is people start thinking, well, maybe, hey, geez, if they're getting all this toilet paper, maybe I need a bunch of toilet paper too. And it, it kind of, that becomes contagious. That's more contagious than uh, the, the uh, disease that itself. Wow. Yeah, there are a lot of things you can use for toilet paper. I've got, you know, notebooks of of stuff here that I could, I mean, if if worse came to worse, I have a sink and I'm sure the water is going to keep running. I'm not really worried about that. Sinks and washcloth. I mean... Oh, this whole thing, I don't even understand. And yes, I did just touch my eyes. I got to come up with something. I did invent a product earlier, though. I'm thinking, you know, this, all this hand washing, it's so much work, right? Because most people don't even wash their hands correctly. I was washing my hands today, and I realized that most of what I'm doing is my left hand washing my right hand. So my left hand doesn't get really as washed as the right hand does because it's just, I don't know, you don't even think about it. And you're doing all that like I'm doing this, right? I don't do that to my this hand that feels weird. it's almost awkward, so people who are listening uh and not watching on YouTube don't know what i'm doing but i'm I'm rubbing my thumbs because your thumbs are one of the places that gets uh overlooked when you wash your hands and I realize that I do a lot of uh washing of my right hand, but not so much the left hand when I'm doing it. so I've got this product in mind it's kind of it's you know it's very simple, but imagine this little thing you've set next to your sink. Maybe it goes in the same. I don't even know. And you just stick your hands in it. It's got brushes and the brushes run. It's got to be soft brushes because you don't want any bleeding. And there's, you know, there's disinfectant in there and it cleans your hands for you. I mean, that can't be that hard to put together. And if anybody does it, I want to cut because I just gave you the idea. That's got to be better and probably even more effective than this whole you know manual stuff because you miss so many spots. I was told today that there's the spots on your hand that you tend to miss are your thumbs, this little you know this groove here which palm readers used to. I don't know if it's your lifeline. I don't know what it is here. And there was another spot which I don't remember. There were three. <sighs> this has become so complicated. Remember when life was simpler three weeks ago? I miss those days. I miss those days of simplicity. My son is stuck in Holland. I don't know when he's going to be able to come home now. He told me that he talked to the American embassy over there, and they said that American citizens are able to travel home. But the problem is all the flights are being canceled. It's hard to get here if you've got to swim. So I don't know how that's going to work out. Um, I had a, an event coming up in Canada. That's been canceled. I won't be going there. I'm a little relieved in a way, but I was really looking forward to going. I mean, it was. For a lot of reasons, actually. But um, I don't know. I haven't watched the news at all today. I really haven't been paying attention. But I do know this. I do know that little old Cooperstown, New York, in the middle of nowhere, we have our first case. And this patient went to a local health clinic, part of the greater uh, Bassett Hospital um, group. Um, and it, it, the clinic was like a half hour from here. And she didn't tell them that she had traveled outside of the country. And she didn't tell them what her symptoms were before she showed up. All the things you're supposed to do so that they can prevent you from coming in and infecting everybody else. So the whole staff of this medical clinic was exposed, plus any patients that were there at the time. And uh, now this woman, who had been in Greece and other parts of Europe, is in the hospital that's located here in Cooperstown, and it is the first case that we've got here. So, I don't know, you know... um, I don't, know, I, I don't know what to say because I'm trying to avoid saying any of the words. <laughs> but, all I, but what I do know is that we're all going to be affected by this one way or another. But what I'm really concerned with is how it's affecting small business. And to give you an example of what I'm worried about, I mean, we were just talking in Cooperstown. Cooperstown, New York, is a tourist town. We have 1,000 residents year-round. But in the summer, we've got things like the Baseball Hall of Fame. That brings half a million people through Cooperstown in, over the summer. We've got this other facility. It's called the Cooperstown Dreams Park, and it's a baseball tournament facility for 12-year-olds. There are 96 baseball fields. This, is, this thing is kind of new. It's only been around a few, a few years. There are 96 baseball fields. Each one of those fields hosts uh, a, team, uh, a tournament every week. They have a hundred and something teams every week coming in to play these week long tournaments. They come from all over the world, in fact. And in fact, there's a waiting list to to be able to be part of this. And each team has 15 players. The parents, you know, you've got thousands of people coming through uh, the Cooperstown area every week that are basically tourists. They play their baseball games, they visit the Hall of Fame, they eat in the restaurants. They do all that stuff. It's really the economic life's blood of Cooperstown. They are talking, they just said that, the, that New York State, I don't know if it's directly from the governor, but somewhere from New York State, they said, we are considering forcing you to close. That means that the village of Cooperstown, which survives on this tourism, will basically, um, I don't know, it'll be, cho- it'll be choked off economically. All the restaurants, all the baseball memorabilia shops, the Baseball Hall of Fame itself, all these places are going to suffer greatly. And I, I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm on a bit of a tangent here, but it's just I'm starting to recognize the economic reality of this. I mean, if they're going to close this, this baseball facility for the summer, how long do they think this is going to go on? I don't know. Anyway, I won't I won't spend any more time talking about that. Tonight, however, we're talking about H.H. H. Holmes, the infamous serial killer. Some people call him the first American serial killer. He's the one that built the murder house in Chicago. Remember that story? He built a house specifically designed to be able to torture and kill people. And then he would prey on... People that would uh, show up to Chicago for the World's Fair. Well, we're going to talk about him with one of his descendants, Jeff Mudgett. Jeff's been on the program before. And Jeff, along the way, came up with the idea that H.H. Holmes, his ancestor, could very well have been the notorious Jack the Ripper. And he has spent a great deal of time researching this and looking into it and presenting his evidence. And we're going to talk about the latest in that quest, what he's uncovered since he's been on the program. It's been a few, at least a year. I'm not sure when he was here last. You may have seen some of the story on, a, on the History Channel on a, a program called American Ripper, um, which he presented, which I thought was a great show. I really enjoyed watching that. We'll find out what happened with that as well. But we have, um, you know, it's going to be a really interesting discussion because H.H. H. Holmes himself was a, a, a diabolical, but also a very fascinating individual. And Jack the Ripper, same way. So you've got two characters that are uh, notorious and legendary in a way. And we're going to talk about both of them, and then we're going to see how they might fit together, how they might be, actually be the same person. So this will be a great discussion tonight, and uh, we're looking forward to have, having Jeff back. So with, uh, with that, we'll go to break, and we'll get Jeff with us, and we'll start this discussion. It's Beyond Reality. Don't go away. away. We've got a great program ahead for you. Looking for our guest's book? Go to Amazon.com slash shop slash JVJTaps. Welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. I forgot to mention, make sure you go to the YouTube channel. If you're listening to this program in any other fashion, please uh, go to the YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search for J.V. Johnson. Once you get there, make sure you subscribe. And uh, when you do subscribe, you'll have access to, I don't know, 550 back episodes, something like that. There's a lot of programming there. There's no charge or anything to subscribe. It's all free. Plus, there's some bonus content you'll be privileged to. And if you click the notification icon... You'll be notified when we stream live or we upload bonus content. It's a great way to be part of our online online community. There's a great chat room that is uh, active when we stream live like it is right now. A lot of great people in there and like to say hi to everybody who's in our chat room. Tonight we're going to be talking about what might be considered a little morbid at times, certainly intriguing. But true crime has taken this country by storm. I think the top podcasts, many of them are true crime podcasts. Some of the top uh, cable television shows, things like Forensic Files or Cold Case Files, they're very highly rated. In fact, on Netflix, they've had a real string of of successes with true crime programs like uh, Making a Murderer and The Staircase and some others. People really can't get enough of this. And I'm not sure what the fascination is, but our guest might know. Jeff Mudgett is a returning guest to the program. He's a descendant of who may be considered the first American serial killer, certainly one of the most notorious H.H. Holmes. Jeff, welcome back to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you with us tonight.
1: Hey, JB. Uh, Thanks. Thanks uh, again. uh, I remember the first time I came on with you and we had a we had a great show and I got to tell you, I've got some stuff to share with you and your listeners tonight that uh, you'll be the first show that I get to share with, and it's uh, something that's excited me as something I've waited for for a long time.
0: Well, that's exciting to hear, and I'm privileged and honored. Feel privileged and, and certainly honored to have you on and do that with us because this is a, this is a mystery. In many ways, that has been going on uh, for, what now, 130 years or so? I mean, maybe even longer than that. I didn't do the math. I just did it quickly. But the identity of Jack the Ripper is one thing that everybody has been asking uh, about for well over a century. And H.H. H. Holmes himself is still a, an enigma. He's a, He's a figure and a character that people just are trying to wrap their heads around because what he did was so... Um, I was going to say horrible, but I'm not sure if that's the word. But it's certainly uh, unmatched in in American history. And bringing this all together uh, answers a lot of questions, and it makes it's kind of an aha moment. And th- this is pretty exciting stuff when you start to answer some of these questions individually and realize that they share a common path.
1: Well, there's no doubt about it, and that's that's. Uh your you know your initial question when you started the show about why people are intrigued with you know the the sinister aspect of true crime so much and why it's such a big success in television now i I really couldn't tell you I'm asked to go on panels and try and and I try to answer that question every time, but um for some reason, there's sixty or seventy million Americans who are fascinated with criminals like my great great grandfather H H Holmes. And you know, that's one of the reasons it caught me it caught me by the reins and I and I set you know a successful law career aside and wrote my book Bloodstains.
0: Yeah, I mean let's let's talk a little bit about that because I know this was a real difficult process for you. At some point along the way, you discovered that your ancestry included this mass murderer, this serial killer. Tell me what happened, how you discovered this, and then, secondly, how it affected you.
1: Yeah, well, I was about, I guess, 40, practicing law, some of the criminal in California, and I'd had a strange relationship with my grandfather. Uh, Bert was his name. We maybe shared two or three sentences my whole life despite the fact that we were both avid fishermen and can you imagine your grandfather never asking you fishing yeah so it was strange and then one night at dinner with some you know stirrings by my grandmother who was famous at that she finally got him to come loose with the secret that he would kept to himself his whole life hadn't even told her that we were the direct descendants of this, this horrible man who the papers, you know, at the turn of the century, were calling the devil and the demon.
0: That's right. Uh, who,
1: who built the murder castle in Chicago that lured, you know, innocent young ladies from the World's Fair. And, uh, you know, so all of a sudden, uh, I'm looking around the table, my, my whole family's there, and and they're all kind of just continue eating eating the dumplings, the chicken dumplings and, and I noticed that grandfather is staring directly at me the whole time he's talking and it's it's me that he wants to take the burden uh, that he's been carrying his whole life and uh lo and behold it, it it rested on my shoulders and that's that's when I started up to research what was true, you know, what was fact, what was legend, what was lore, and there was a lot of it. But uh, lo and behold, this was one horrible man, certainly the most terrible in American history.
0: What is the lineage? Um, was he your, like, three-great-grandfather or four-greats or something like that?
1: You know, the easiest way to look to, uh, it out in your head is he was my grandfather's grandfather.
0: Okay. All right. So, I mean, that's you know obviously not that far back if you if you're tracing your lineage that's not that far back and uh, so that has to hit home pretty hard when you learn this and did you question your own sanity maybe um i'm obviously you the first thing you're thinking of wow how what, what what travels through these genetics
1: question my sanity well almost every day yeah. and it's uh it's something that you know we do as humans when something is, is placed in your lap, you tend to, you know, personalize it, you know, and without recognizing that we all have moments like that. But, you know, the, the idiosyncrasies that I'd grown up with, uh, JB, the, the strange thoughts that I'd had, you know, in movie theaters when I'd seen a scene that had hit me the wrong way, those things uh, suddenly had a name, a face. And I started to worry about those and uh decided that the best way to to uh you know to uh to uh make make all that work out on the right side, not follow in that this horrible man's footsteps, you know, worst of all, was to uh set everything aside and, and go find out from the archives, from history. From all the research I could do, uh, what what the real story was, and and I can only you know tell you this. And for for those of your listeners who, who've read my book, Bloodstains, um, instead of simplifying the story, it just got more complicated and complicated. And uh, you know, and that until finally we ended up at that final episode in American Ripper, you know, History Channel's uh, miniseries that I, I that I work with. Where we actually exhumed the grave that was said to hold the killer, and uh, it was um, that—that's—that's that's, uh, you know when I look back at it, I go on shows like yours and look back at the the opportunity that that companies like History Channel gave me uh, to you know to. You know, they gave me the the backing. They gave me uh, obviously the assets. It cost us over a million dollars to exhume that grave, and wow. then to investigate uh, and the DNA, the skeleton, all those things. Um, you know, they gave me the opportunity that I would have never had on my own, and uh, I I, uh, I I take almost every chance I get on shows like yours to thank them for you know going with me going with me to london and letting me explain to the world my theory that not only was he america's first serial killer and most horrific but i'm pretty sure he was also jack the ripper
0: let's back this up a little bit because obviously you know the intimate details of who h.h H. holmes was obviously i'm familiar with who h.h H. holmes was but there might be people who are not so set the stage for us and tell us who h.h H. holmes was
1: he was a, uh, a doctor from the University of, of Michigan uh, in uh, Ann Arbor, where uh, he uh, did rather well in school. He was a charmer. He was rather elegant, um, loved to dress up. He could have been a, a fabulous city doctor, or he could have gone out from the country and a, for a little town in America. He had all those talents that we associate with someone who goes and gets his medical degree at one of the finest universities in America. And instead, um, heck, he, he was smart enough to have been a Louis Pasteur had he wanted to be. Instead, he took this, this the other side, is about as other side as you can possibly get, to where he learned that there was the biggest World's Fair ever coming to Chicago along the shores of the lake, right there in downtown Chicago. He premeditated a location where the uh, the, the rail lines would uh, junction uh, down to the lake and out to downtown. He arranged one of his murders, To somehow come into possession of that piece of property and then constructed his own murder castle. It was a hotel, but it was three, three stories and uh, with a basement consist, containing all of the, the, the mechanisms for torture, experiment, things you'd associate in a dr frankenstein image that the one we all have in our head right and unfortunately uh jb was right here in america in chicago wow
0: he didn't he get that through some kind of partnership with somebody was it a was it a pharmacy or something and then he ended up uh what is suspected to have been uh, murdered uh, the partner
1: yeah, the the Chicago the Chicago Tribune when you know when when the truth came out and he was later tried for murder in Philadelphia and the investigators started unearthing the facts. They they gave him a quote that I like to uh repeat. He was the greatest fraud that ever struck Chicago and when he identified a piece of property or some cash, he had two things he liked in the world. He liked women and he liked money, and when women got in the way of money, they were done away with. So he identified the property he wanted. He found the couple that owned the little uh, pharmacy there on on the property and arranged his fraud, and somehow the man went missing, but only after Holmes had been named as the beneficiary on the life insurance policy and lo and behold, he ended up with the property that he could begin his his construction on.
0: That uh, murder castle, as we'll we'll call it, uh, because that's what it's known as, was not a small building. That was quite a project. How did he get the money to build such a monstrosity?
1: There's many, many books written about that. Uh, Probably the most famous is Eric Larson's The Devil in the White City. The the book that uh, Tom Cruise first owned, then Leonardo DiCaprio owned, and Martin Scorsese. It, the rumors are that it's it may, being made into a Hulu series. I haven't seen uh, the evidence of that yet. But uh, Eric wrote about the building and and laid out and spelled out how it was laid out, and it was a, it was a huge building for the time, and Holmes had a. Had a uh, habit of hiring contractors, uh, arranging for them to maybe get two thirds finished on their work, have a dispute with them, and then fire them off before they were paid, and then he'd bring in a new one. And he, mm. lo- and lo and behold, he got to finished. Do with that process. <laughs> wow. Plus, he was also crafty with money. He was an investor. He uh, there was uh, stories of him selling uh, gas. That he found on the land to the city of Chicago, natural gas. And when the police later went into the property, once all the murders started coming coming to uh, to earth, coming to uh, to uh, vision, uh, they when they went down into the basement, they found out that all he'd done is dug across the street and tapped into the city gas line <laughs> and then sold the city back their own gas.
0: Wow. <laughs> Wow. What years are we talking about? Because when was the World's Fair in Chicago?
1: Oh, about 1892, 1893.
0: So this was the end of the 19th century, um, just before the turn of the century. And uh, H.H. Holmes is finding himself basically an unlimited supply of victims because of what was going on in Chicago did was anybody wise to what was happening during the time were there any accusations or did did it all come later
1: you know the, the when we on the show american ripper that they had you know their crack team of researchers working on it and the police were overwhelmed jb at the time they, there was yeah. probably 20 million visitors wow. to the fair you know the, and you got to put it in perspective you had Uh, Edison was there. Tesla was there. The Wright brothers were there. Was that the first first Ferris wheel ever? I mean, this was the place. Jeff, was that the
0: World's Fair where Edison and Tesla, uh, wasn't it Westinghouse that ended up lighting it, and it was the first real demonstration of electric light?
1: You know, I think you're right, but I wouldn't want to, I'm not positive, but I think you're right.
0: I think so, too. I, again, I'm not positive either, but I think that was the World Fair, that the spectacle was that they lit it with electric light, and that was quite, a, quite an accomplishment and a spectacle for anyone who was visiting. So sorry to interrupt there, but I think that was the one.
1: No, so so imagine that. That's going on. This is the place from around the world. Everyone with money had to go there. Everyone without money tried to go there, and two miles from that fair was the murder castle. Wow, you, you could see it from the Ferris wheel when you rode the wheel, and you know it's quite uh, quite a quite a thought to try to process how all these innocent young ladies came from Kansas, Missouri, Alabama, um, Connecticut. They needed a job, they needed a place to stay. And here was this rather dapper, debonair doctor offering them a place and a piece of employment two miles from what they'd sought out after the whole time. It was it was right out of the movies, but the wrong kind of movies. What's the official
0: account, or not account, but count of victims from H. H. Holmes?
1: You know, the it's i'm asked that quite often there's really no telling some people argue he only killed 13 Holmes made a joke of the confession before his his alleged execution he claimed you know 27 then the next day he retracted that there are some that believe it was as high as 200 the problem you have trying to estimate how many murders there were jb was this was a uh, a brilliant doctor who was an expert in forensic science and elimination chemistry as far as bones, flesh, you know, hair, and to go back and try to give a number to those that he murdered is almost a disservice to the victims. i I know I know that there's at, at least ten absolute proof Murders. Children, uh, like I said, the, the the husband of the couple, and then uh, his partners, and then the, the he married three or four times, and two of them went missing. Um, so the, there's multiple murders, certainly enough to qualify him as a mass murdering serial killer. <laughs>
0: The count is, uh, you know, obviously you gave us a very wide disparity of numbers, uh, ranging up to 200. You say he was an expert at disposing the bodies. I mean, that's the way that most most of these guys end up getting caught, is that at some point you find the remains, and you're saying that he was able to dispose of all the remains, or at least a majority of them.
1: Well, I'll give you an example. During the show, we filmed on the Chicago River because uh, one of our uh, historians had long had a belief, matter of fact, he'd written a book about Holmes having owned a concrete factory along the river, oh, a couple miles from the murder castle. And he we'd never discovered any commercial practices that that concrete had been used for. So I talked the History Channel into uh, setting up the production team so we could go out on the river with uh, sonar and, and search the muck below the river to see if the legends were true about coffin-shaped concrete blocks. Mm-hmm. Well, we found some. And, uh, but when we went to get permission to digging in the, the Chicago River and would have involved permission from the city, the state, the federal government, the Coast Guard, the EPA, and on and on and on. And finally, history had, had couldn't go that far, so we, we pulled back. But I was about, uh, oh, three, four months after that episode, I was at a party there in Chicago, and, the, and uh, the mayor's assistant came over to me and said, Man, we loved your show, but we all were dying to see what you guys found mm-hmm. with the concrete blocks in the river. We wanted you to do it. And I said, well, you know, the, the history guys had some trouble getting permission from you all. He said, no, you didn't. We'd have given you the, the thumbs up right off. <laughs>
0: oh, wow.
1: <laughs> so, so maybe one day. Uh,
0: we're talking with Jeff Mudgett tonight. We're talking about his direct descendant, H.H. H. Holmes, America's first serial killer. Was there a connection between H.H. H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper, one of the most infamous infamous serial killers of all time, in fact? Jeff believes there is, and he's got a lot of evidence to support that theory as well. He's written a book about it called Bloodstains. You can find out more information about the book and Jeff's work at bloodstainsthebook.com. Jeff, how did your the rest of your family react when this was revealed? You, it hit you hard, and you said your grandfather father kind of placed it on the burden on your shoulders. But what was the reaction of other family members?
1: Oh, disbelief. Uh, some shock um they wanted life just to go on maybe uh wishing that he'd never brought it up at all and uh knowing that <laughs> knowing that once I'd been interested by something like that having been around me for 40 years that I would have had the bone in my teeth and I'd have run with it and that, that's what happened and but to tell you the truth, my family's been very supportive the whole time, J.B. My, I, You know, I've got the all-American mom and dad who would have supported me anything I did. Um, and then, but you know, the rest, when we got permission to exhume the grave in, in, in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, um, they all had to sign off on it, and one of them could have vetoed it and shut the whole project down, and none of them, to their credit, did.
0: Well, that says something right there. Let's go back to the H.H. H. Holmes story itself. We've talked about what he did, how he did it, basically. But uh, what was his final fate? How did it end up for him?
1: Well, and that was the, you know, the I'd had a theory, I many, many theories about this, this man. And one of them, J.B., was that he hadn't been executed that day that another had been substituted in his place and buried in the grave and that Holmes had gone on to live another life and you know the i was visited time and time again by people who thought that he had lived in France South America the whole the whole the whole thing and i realized that so many of the shows we see now on television you know it's a it's a Author or a uh, a family member or a descendant who has a theory, they get up on on television, then they stand stand in front of the, the camera, and then they give their theory, and then someone recreates a scene, and that's what you're supposed to believe. And this one, there was an opportunity for real scientific evidence to determine the outcome with science. Deciding whether Holmes was in this grave or not, using some of the greatest anthropologists in the world from the University of Pennsylvania, and you know when I took it to History Channel with it they uh, to their credit they they decided to run with it and it was uh, it was a wonderful series I-, I thought, and then that last I know we 're going to talk about it later, but that last episode still still uh the evidence needs to be reopened, yeah. in my opinion.
0: I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, you had me hooked. I watched it. And then when we got to that last episode, I don't think anybody was prepared for it to end there because there were so many uh, questions that were about to be answered. Uh, and I think there are a lot of people that have that have those questions on, on their mind and want those answers. But when it, when it comes to uh, Holmes himself, how was he caught? What, what was the process by which he was caught and... Um, tried
1: what happened there well and it's a great question too because i've long believed that holmes manipulated that whole process really and he knew that in order for him to have a blank check because the, the noose was this the noose was tightening the whole time across america i mean the the search and chase for holmes before his arrest, was as big as Bonnie and Clyde. It's just, uh, and it was covered in every newspaper, and he was in Texas, he was in Missouri, he was in Toronto, he was in, you know, Boston, um, New York, and the, the cops were chasing him, the private investigators were chasing him, the insurance companies had hired um, some of the greatest investigators in the world to run the man down. They, they, they finally had enough with paying false life insurance proceeds. That's, that's what his career was. Right. And, and he, you know, he made considerable money back then for that. And, and I, I realized that the man as smart as he was knew that there was no way he was going to get away with being called innocent after a trial for murder. And after his arrest in Boston, it was uh, on some uh, minor, uh, not minor, but uh, insurance felony charges. The Philadelphia district attorney got involved and uh, decided to bring one of the murder charges against him there. Not the ones from Chicago, not the ones from from uh, any of the other states, just the one there. And having practiced law myself and, and trial law, I can tell you this, the his trial and the transcripts, which still exist, if any of your listeners get get fascinated enough with Holmes, you can actually Google down the trial transcripts. He actually fired his lawyers and decided to defend himself, and that the, the cross examination of one of his ex wives, who were never was never a legal wife, but. Uh, and the judge deciding that that was going to be allowed in his courtroom because Holmes was obviously a bigamist and a fraud, and that back and forth between him and that wife is some of the most fascinating trial uh, tactics that I've ever seen and, and is still used in some law schools as far as cross-examination technique and it's uh the man the man was uh I don't want to sound like I'm proud of him ever JB and help right. me if I do yeah. because he's a hor- he's a horrible man some of the murders of young children he committed are just atrocious and it uh it makes me uh ashamed that it, that's who that's why I'm here talking with you today that that man um but the techniques he used and this this chance I have now to prove that he escaped that execution. I still haven't figured out how he did it, and uh, hopefully one day I'll get another network to to step in and help me uh, take that final step.
0: So, what are we what are we faced with right now as far as um, evidence to determine whether or not he actually was executed? You exhumed the body. Would you, can, can you talk to us about what you found out?
1: Sure, sure. We. Uh, we went to court and, uh, like I said, my family agreed and the judge decided to allow the exhumation as long as it was supervised and the, uh, dig was, um, conducted by the world famous anthropologist from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, history provided all the assets. Um, we, uh, went to the grave out in, out, uh, Yaden outside of uh, Philadelphia. in a a Catholic cemetery, which Holmes had also arranged, despite not being Catholic, and uh, found two graves. He'd bought two graves, or his representatives had bought two graves. We unmarked, unmarked. We dug, dug down the first one. We got to the normal eight feet, and there was an empty coffin there.
0: Oh, wow. This, and, wait. Let me oh, let me let me just stop you for a second. Had these graves been untouched since the supposed execution and burial?
1: Uh, to the best of my knowledge, yes.
0: Okay. All right. So you get down, you find an empty coffin.
1: So we find the empty coffin, and the scientists are just—they're swimming around down there. They're excited. This is going to be the find of their of their career. My co-host Amaryllis Fox. Who was an ex CIA investigator herself? She's jumping down in the grave, digging with the scientists. It's the camera guys, the director. They're all having a great, great time, and I'm, 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 I'm up above on the top, looking down. And there's something, something not right, uh, Jv. Something's not right. And uh, you know they're all ready to sign off on this thing, but then. My co-host Dan Murillo, says, "No, you know, no. Let's let's go over one and then dig down that extra two feet. That extra two feet. And uh, the the uh, cemetery officials agreed. History agreed to pay for the extra dig, mm-hmm. and the scientists were excited. And we dug down and we found the concrete sarcophagus that the reports had mentioned after the execution that he had supposedly been buried." in a block of concrete and then sunk down in the grave. Wow. Well, at 10 feet, we found that concrete sarcophagus.
0: And was it was it 10 feet, was it 2 feet below the empty coffin you found or was it in the second grave that was adjacent?
1: It was adjacent and 2 feet deeper. Okay. So if you can imagine, you know, 8 feet and then a step down to 10 feet, yep. one step over. Yep. And And this is... This is quite, uh, i have never been involved in an exhumation before. And, you know, we've got graves all around us and we're trying to respect their privacy and not sure. have them, the walls collapse in on, on those people who were, who were justifiably buried there and deserved the respect. So we had the engineers coming and shoring up all the walls. It was quite an amazing process. And, um... We we get to the concrete. It's obviously way too heavy for anything we have to lift out. So the, the scientists start opening the concrete up, chipping it away, and we find uh, the leftover remains of what appears to be a male Caucasian. Looks like a Caucasian. Still clothes. We had a hat. We had a jacket. We had shoes on the feet. No pants. No pants. Which the, the uh, scientist assured me wasn't unusual because when a man is hung, sometimes you know the controls that he has over uh, waste. Uh, right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The eva- the body it, evacuates. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. So so all that's good. All that's good. And and the, and the, the 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 odor is just so terrible you can't imagine for two weeks i couldn't get it out of my head oh
0: yeah that's got to be one that sticks in your memories whether it's in front uh, of you yeah Mm, gosh
1: and i can remember there's one scene there where the director mark perez he said hey Mudget we need a scene with you down in the grave. Jump down in there, and get your hands in that that grave, and it's all soupy and and, oh, uh, and and I and I and I say no, 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 thanks, no. That's I, I'm close enough to him as I as I need to be. And my and my co-host Amrul is this this gorgeous little brunette. She goes, I'll jump, and she jumps down and she gets right. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any so personal? It was, it, was, of, it, was a, it was a great scene. She's now by the way, she's now married to a Kennedy, Robert Kennedy III. Oh
0: wow, wow.
1: Uh, with, yeah, with, so. So there, we found, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I
0: was going to ask you, were there any personal effects, uh, like, you know, a wallet? or yeah. I don't even know if they had those things yeah. back then, but yeah.
1: Yes, we found a, a cross, a pewter cross that someone had obviously designed for the grave, and it had writing on it, and it gave the date of the burial, and it said H H Holmes on it, which... At the time, I thought it was rather remarkable because he'd, he'd confessed before the execution, he'd confessed and converted to Catholicism hmm. with his God given name, Herman Webster Mudget, the Mudget that I carry. Right. But on the cross, they'd gone back to the alias that he always got a chuckle out of, that he used for most of his crimes. So the, the skeletons there, the the scientists are. Working away, they 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 finally clean it away, um, and they take it back to the laboratory at the University of Pennsylvania, where they're going to get a DNA sample and compare it with mine. Okay. All right. Yep. They're going to compare the skeletal height with what Holmes was said to be as a man when he was arrested by the Boston police and the Philadelphia prison officials. They're going to check the dental records. They're going to check the trauma to the neck from the hanging. All, you know, they're doing the, the things anthropologists are supposed to do to determine if this man was H.H. H. Holmes or not. Sure. Well, lo and behold, uh, the DNA doesn't match. Mm. We now know the skeleton was four to six inches too short. There was no trauma to the neck from a hanging, which is quite unusual. Not impossible, but quite unusual. Right. And one of the team members, I have a team of researchers now that we, we go through anything new that comes up with Holmes. My, my crack assistant, Warren Kroon, we, we talk every morning with something new he finds on, on Holmes. But uh, Vanessa Hogel is my assistant that helps me with the dental records. And other pieces of evidence, but she determined that the dental records had been falsified—the ones that the UPenn had used to identify the teeth we found in the skull—which was Holmes's MO in life insurance fraud. Hmm. And it's and so the when you add it all up, and and if you take the viewpoint of a a defense lawyer in a criminal trial, you've got DNA not matching, the skeleton doesn't match, dental records are falsified, and no trauma to the neck. You've got plenty to get a reasonable doubt at the very least.
0: Was there there anything that pointed in the other direction? Did you find anything that may have been in uh, part of the substantiation that it was in fact him, or was there absolutely nothing that did that other than maybe that cross?
1: No, 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 the, the the UPenn believed that the dental records proved that it was Holmes. And that's, that's in the final episode of American Ripper. And when you, the dental records that we had, JB, were from a, a physical examination by a Chicago physician that we believe Holmes had requested to do the exam before the execution, who had come out from Chicago, who had known Holmes in Chicago. They took dental casts, all right, actually molds of the teeth, which the UPenn anthropologist and their dentistry department compared with the teeth we found in the skull, and they match. And they match. But now our dental team of researchers has proven that the dental cast that they took was from a cadaver, not the living inmate as was represented on the show.
0: How how do you prove that? What, What can you do to prove that?
1: Oh, it's pretty easy. When you, when you, when you, I tell you what, I'll, I'll send you the report that they use. Okay. When you take the dental cast, when you go to a dental office and they use, uh, they make a mold of your teeth. Mm -hmm. They have the bottom cast has to be a U shape because of your tongue. Your tongue interferes with the cast. So it's a U shape, but on these, the bottom of the mouth was there which is an impossibility on a living human being. Wow. So when my, when my team of researchers let me know, no, no, that can't have been that way. That was from a cadaver. We, you know, we knew we had the Holmes MO again. So it, uh, right now we've got a, we've got a a network looking at reopening the evidence, Mm JB, of going through the DNA, going through the skeletal differences, Going through the dental records being falsified and the lack of trauma and uh, maybe uh, taking a second look at that exhumation rather than that quick. Well, you remember that final episode, how quickly it ended there. Yeah. With with, you know, we had almost two million people watching. It was a great show for history and i and i think almost every one of those 2 million jb has written me a uh, facebook note how disappointed they were in in the final.
0: Yeah, do you mind if i ask why history dropped it where you, where they dropped it? It just seems awfully strange. It seemed to be a, a great entertaining inform- informative and popular show.
1: You know, there was some i don't know exactly why. There was some politics going on. I know that um the, the budget had gone way over on the exhumation mm-hmm. and then the, and then all the the uh, t- uh, testing and the, the lab work and I think uh, they were they were ready to be done plus when you know they they'd listened to my theories about him being Jack the Ripper about him not being executed for almost a year jB and I think they were tired of it I think, you know, I think they believed it was Holmes in that grave and they were ready to move on. So it, uh, I, I'm just uh, fascinated to see if someone will step up and let me try to explain what that evidence would mean if it was in a court of law, how it couldn't be used to determine the ID of the remains. Now, how, does that prove how he escaped execution? No. I have no idea how he could have done that, J.B., um, or if it even proves he escaped execution. It could have just been another man was buried in his place after he was executed. Mm-hmm. There's, it's, it's quite a story, but it's certainly one of the most fascinating in American history.
0: We've kind of laid this table out here for the uh, story of H.H. H. Holmes, a notorious and America's first serial killer, and that story is interesting enough. However, somewhere along the way, Jeff got the idea that there are too many coincidences maybe and too many connections between H.H. Holmes and another very notorious serial killer. Of course, I'm talking about Jack the Ripper. Jeff, at what point did you start to see a connection here that was strong enough that you decided to start looking into this?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that because, you know, when you... Almost every time I bring the aspect up about Holmes having been Jack the Ripper, people have the glazed, rolled eye, overlook. And to, to tell you the truth, J.B., that's my reaction the first time I heard that theory uh, brought to me by a, a gentleman named Mark Potts from back east who spent many years of his life trying to prove the theory and had... uh handwriting experts giving their opinions regarding Holmes' letters and the Dear Boss letter, the famous Jack the Ripper letter. And I didn't I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I found it fascinating. I thought it could be a great part of my book. So, um, you know, I, I kept an eye on it. And uh, one of my old uh, friends, a prosecuting attorney in San Francisco, had heard about my uh, project and he said you know there's this uh there's this group out in the uh, university of buffalo that have a new computer program which the uh which compares handwriting and he said remember the problems we used to have at trial when you'd have you you could jb you can have an expert come up and say that handwriting is a match with that um, for the prosecution and then you can hire an expert to say that doesn't match that for the defense. It <laughs> right. happens all the time. Yeah. So this this outfit at the University of Buffalo decided to make, make some money uh, writing this program. Well, they, it was a huge success. I mean, the FBI uses it, the uh, Scotland Yard uses it, the CIA uses it. So out of the blue, I, I gave them a call and I said, you know, I, I've got this crazy idea about this American doctor, who we know we know, traveled to London, um, having murdered one of the at least one of the five Ripper victims, uh, Catherine Eddowes, and wrote the "Dear Boss" letter, the one that's the first time Jack the Ripper's ever used. So, I thought they were going to slam the phone down and you know go on with life. When they said, "Well, bring the stuff out. We'll run it through the per- we'll run it through the computer." So I, I got on a plane. I got the uh, best, best copies of the, of the uh, literature that I wanted to compare. And uh, they ran it through, and it came back
0: 97%. That's and pretty convincing. I said, as a... you
1: guys... Go ahead.
0: No, I just, that's a good start. I mean, you get that kind of uh, re- um, reply or answer to your test. You're going to automatically think there's something to this with good reason.
1: Yeah, and so, and I said, you know, and uh, I'm told uh, the FBI uses your program now. They said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, they're quite, they rely on it heavily. So I told one of my friends that does radio shows, that uh, he's now the star of the, the Holzer File, Dave Schrader. Yeah,
0: no, Dave Well, sure.
1: Yeah, and I said, Dave, can you, uh, when you go, when you fill in for uh, George Norrie one night on Coast to Coast, will you will you put me on so I can give my theory about Holmes being ripper and this handwriting, uh, computer program analysis I've got he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went on and, uh, someone from the Ted talks was listening. They invited me to present the evidence of the handwriting to their audience in Vancouver. And someone from history was watching and that's how the, the show all started out. But it's, uh, it's that, it's that handwriting comparison. And I'll tell you this, JB, I get a lot of people that deny, you know, the veracity of my theory, if it's even plausible, this and that. But in all the years I've been doing this now, since that computer analysis at the University of Buffalo, JB, no one's ever disputed that data. Never. And when we went back to London for the show, history hired these two English novelists, um, linguists, who went through the handwriting, went through the Dear Boss, went through the Holmes letters, and they agreed that Dear Boss had been written by a Amer- highly educated American trying to sound English. Really? Yeah, and... uh and then I'll give you, I'll give you a, final, a final on that. It's kind of a cute story. It was the night of the presidential election. We were in London. Um, my film crew was a New York production team. Um, they all wanted to get on a plane and go home to Mama that this, this man was going to be president of the United States. That, that wasn't their favorite. So I was up at the bar. They were in the in the lobby. I was up at the bar. And these two gentlemen, um, came over dressed, dressed like young lawyers, but much more, uh, fit. And they said, Mr. Mudgett? I said, yes, yes. And, uh, can we, uh, talk to you for a minute? I said, yeah, no. And realizing that this had a law enforcement feel to it, and then they showed me their credentials, and they were Scotland Yard, and they said, we've been following your theory about about Holmes, having been um, Jack the Ripper, um, we just wanted you to know, while we don't agree with you that it was H.H. H. Holmes, we do agree that there was at least one, maybe two copycats, and the killer was probably an American.
0: Wait, they're saying so, uh, the copycat was an American, or that they felt that Jack the Ripper himself was an American?
1: The, the man who wrote the Dear Boss letter and killed Catherine Eddowes mm-hmm. was a highly educated American. I see,
0: and Scotland Yard but, believes that.
1: Yeah, wow. but the five the five murders that we've always known as the Jack the Ripper five, however they characterize them, they yep. said no that that they agreed with me that there had been multiple murders.
0: So Scotland Scotland Yard believes those five murders were committed committed by multiple people. Yes. Not yes. one. They told, not one. That,
1: they told me that. They told me at the bar. I doubt I could get them to repeat it on television. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I tried to get history. I tried to get history to recreate the scene, and they wouldn't do it.
0: Um, what are the let's Let's talk about a few of the things that would have to be uh the case for this to this theory to actually be true one of them is the timeline how does the timeline of the jack the ripper murders uh compare or fit into the timeline of h h holmes whereabouts
1: oh if you remember i think it was like the 6th episode Amaryllis. and i and i told the producers i wanted to stay as far away from this as i could because Anything that I was touching regarding Holmes being the Ripper was stained, you know, with, with people thinking it was a crazy theory. And, and Amaryllis was a trained CIA investigator, so I said, let her handle the cruise ship passenger list archives. And if you remember the episode, her and the investigator they hired, they went and they found the passenger list with a couple of the aliases that Holmes often used.
0: And those those uh, sh- passenger lists were for uh, passenger ships that crossed the Atlantic, obviously. And the, yeah. the they bookend the the Jack the Ripper murders. Do they?
1: No, they don't. They they're he's there for the 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 time when Dear Boss was written. All okay, right, okay. And I try to capture that in the book. Now you'll get many historians that'll argue they can prove he was in. Um, Chicago or he was in uh Boston at the time and I'd run all those dates down and I, I can't find anything which disputes our evidence. As far as us walking into a court of law, JB, and proving that Holmes was the author of the Dear Boss letter and the murder of Catherine Edoes, it, it's not possible. Right. But I tell you what, it I tell you what, it's a m it has there's more evidence to my theory regarding that handwriting, because of the University of Buffalo computer program analysis, than anyone else in the world has.
0: What would it take? So, what, would, what would we be able to find? If, if something was out there that could actually prove this one way or another, what would it have to be? What would our smoking bu- gun have to be?
1: Oh, well, we tried on the show. We ran, uh, my dad and I donated a blood sample. Because there was, do you remember when the uh, the gentleman came forward and said he had a piece of the Catherine Eddo's shawl with blood on it?
0: Yes, of course. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, they ran, they, they wanted that we gave the blood so that we could, they could run the DNA off that shawl and compare it to my father's and mine. Mm-hmm. And at the last, And at the last minute, he bowed out.
0: Your father bowed out?
1: No, no, no! The man that owned the shop.
0: Oh, the man that owned the shop. Uh, oh, really? So we never got to test oh, yeah. that.
1: We never. I don't know. It, it, and uh, it, I, um, that would have been that would have been very close to a lead pipe cinch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I keep thinking that the only way we're going to discover Jack the Ripper's identity, regardless of who it is, H.H. Holmes or someone else, is that if somewhere in somebody's attic there's some kind of uh, journal that he wrote that someone doesn't realize they have and it's uncovered, you know, when somebody goes to empty out an old trunk or something. I mean, beyond that, I'm not sure what else could possibly exist. We know that that shawl is the only physical evidence that remains from the crimes.
1: Well, I told history there's a chance if we ever got the permission to excavate. The the murder castle was bought by the federal government in 1937 and torn down and made into a post office um, adjacent to where the the murders were committed. The the murder castle grounds are now a piece of grass with two trees right next to the post office in Chicago. And I told the History Channel, let's get permission to excavate those grounds and there's a possibility that proof of jack the ripper is buried there and uh they they'd had enough by yeah then. yeah i
0: mean you you don't if i remember correctly and it's been a while since i've seen seen the series but if i remember correctly that's about where you were when the when the show ended right you were talking about doing that
1: yeah no it's it's still there it's, yeah and i'm i'm convinced i can talk the federal government into allowing us to do that because when they bought that property, JB and tore that building down and then covered it up without properly investigating the murders they knew were committed there, they Mm -hmm. they violated about 73 laws. (laughs) So I think we could talk them into allowing us to excavate it as long as we didn't interfere with the post office.
0: Right. Right. So, where does all this stand for you now? I mean, you, you've said you're talking with uh, other networks, and you're looking to bring this story back, uh, make it active again, so that you can continue your work. Where does it stand?
1: Well, I, I, I'll get to share uh, with you and your listeners my uh, my new uh, my uh, my new secret. Oh, this is good. And um, I've just uh, finished uh, negotiations with an outfit a uh, Hollywood production crew that want to make a feature film movie from bloodstains.
0: Oh, wow. That's terrific.
1: That's my dream come true. And this, this isn't just some, this isn't some fly by night outfit. This is, it's the big deal. And, and the most exciting part for me, JB is they don't want to make the movie, the devil in the white city. They like the whole idea of that Hitchcockian psychological drama about a man finding out that these terrible mental thoughts and images he's carried with him his whole life now have a name and a face after his grandfather reveals the secret. Yeah, And I kind of, you know what, I've always, that's, I wrote the book fiction based on a true story. So I told them that's fine with me. They they can they can run with that as a movie, and that I'll I'll sit there in the movie theater and enjoy it like everybody else. But um, so I'm I'm quite as you can imagine, I'm quite excited about the whole thing.
0: Yeah, you should be. There's good reason to be excited. I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this discussion tonight will be as well. So what's the timeline? I mean, usually that's a couple years process, right?
1: I would imagine it's two years. Yeah.
0: Well, that'll be something Especially
1: with all this stuff going on now, which is going to put the the whole Hollywood on hold for six months, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, it seems to be putting everything on hold for six months, which is a little scary in itself. Um, You uh, in the meantime, uh, I'm I'm assuming you're continuing to do research, continuing to uh, look for people to offer uh, information if they have it. I mean, I don't know how much remains out there that you haven't already uncovered, Uh, but uh, this is always a work in progress for you, isn't it?
1: Like I said, we, uh, my team, team and I, we talk every, almost every day about new material that they they found that might be relevant. And um, I, I tell you what, it's that's always been kind of my nature to investigate, you know, a mystery. And this is certainly, I think, the greatest. How he could have pulled off the greatest escape? I, I, greatest. I hate to use that word for this man, but you know, such an incredible escape from execution, substituted another in his place and then gone off to live another life. It's, it's got, it's got, uh, I'm hoping, you know, the the guys that are buying the book now in Hollywood, I'm hoping they take that side of it, you know, because that's always what's interested me. I, I want to know how he could have, there's a, there's a, and I know you already. We, you and I, probably already talked about this, Jim. There's a there's a story that Eric Larson wrote about in The Devil in the White City. There's a there's a lore about the Holmes curse. About anyone involved in his arrest, the trial, the alleged execution, the incarceration before the burial, anyone that upset him, either died or suffered terrible misfortune afterwards, and. Obviously, the paranormal world always went to the spirit side of this. The true crime world always went to, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. maybe maybe Holmes wasn't done away with and i'm I'm hoping the story goes that in that direction
0: I mean, there's so many facets of this story that are just uh intriguing every angle of it is a bit of a mystery and fascinating unto itself and you can follow it in so many different directions. And when it all comes down to the, to you personally as, as a direct descendant of this man, it, other than the, at the point when you learned of that, how else has it, has it affected your life? It must've changed everything for you.
1: Well, I can you know, that's a great question and it's true, but I can tell you this. It's, the the our our direct line my my great grandfather my grandfather my father me um, two of them were American war heroes all right one was the mayor of a city in Florida one was the biggest engineer in California for Pacific Gas and Electric there, that none of them got arrested for jaywalking J B. <laughs> So when people ask me, well, do you feel guilty about this? No, I didn't make a choice about who I descended from. Right. I, I, didn't, yeah, was, I didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah,
0: you certainly shouldn't I feel guilty. can only guilty. tell you this. No. My,
1: dad, my dad has medals on his chest that the country bestowed on him, and, and that's that's the one I look to. That's the one.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine that there'd be any reason for you to have any guilt or feel like you should have guilt. Um, obviously, it's not what you did. And I think that if we all traced our lineage back, we'd find some pretty horrible people in our past as well. So I don't think that that's uh, anything that uh, we can, any of us can escape. But at the same time, when you make something like this basically your life's work and your life's mission— um, I mean it 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 changes the way you live every day I would imagine uh, you've got a real goal you're trying to get some real answers and that must drive you each day
1: It does it does and it, you know it's a it's a story that that still fascinates me and like I I told you when my when my uh when Warren calls me in the morning and we find talk about something new he discovered that the world hasn't seen before and and this man's been dead 124 years now yeah. maybe Right, maybe. Um, it's it's simply it's uh, it's simply incredible, and that's that's. Uh, but you're right. It it did uh, it did shape my life. My grandfather, my grandfather telling me that secret that night. He uh, he decided that he was going to direct my life the the rest of the rest from that time onward, and he did.
0: Uh, so one more time we've got you you just announced tonight and thank thank you for doing that on this program that uh, that blood stains will be made into a film. Uh, are there any other TV opportunities on the horizon that we might be able to uh, have the benefit of?
1: You know I, there's a, a a network looking at reopening the uh, exhumation, the evidence, and I'm trying to talk them into hiring a a crack team of forensic investigators who uh, you know, go up against me and the evidence I, that I present to them. Each piece—the DNA, the skeleton, that the dental records being falsified, and the trauma to the neck—and let them uh, determine whether my theory is valid or not. And to be totally, totally uh, um, above board about it. And uh, so they're looking at it right now, whether they do it or not. Like you said, when we started the show, there are so many new true crime shows, forensic science shows now. That's certainly the one they're all making a success about.
0: Yeah, people are eating this stuff up. Um, They can't get enough of it, it seems. So I've given the website out a couple times, bloodstainsthebook.com. Obviously, there is a link for the book there. Uh, Where else can people go to find out more information about the book and your work?
1: You no, know, that's, that's a great place. You can, you can, uh, I had, a have got a friend who won an Emmy that did the narration for me. You can go to audible on Amazon and, and, uh, and pick up, uh, Kim reading the story of bloodstains when you drive to work in the morning. Uh, I've been told it's really good. So, but, uh, and then we sell an ebook too with Amazon. So it's, um, that's, that's the, the website you put out it. That's my site. That's and it place. If you do, if you Google up HH homes, we come right up on the front page.
0: That's great. Listen, promise that you'll get in touch with us if anything breaks on this or, you know, when you've got something new to talk about, because we love this story, we love the work you're doing and we'd certainly want to be in the loop if anything changes or comes along that's new.
1: I tell you what, I'll, I'll keep you guys up. And like I said, uh, you you got you got the lead story today because it was being done finished today. So that's uh, awesome. I'm I'm excited about being able to share it with you tonight and your listeners and and uh, I hope it. I think they, they seem very excited about the project. When you're dealing with Hollywood, you never know if a project stays stays the path right. or not. But right. uh, it seems to me that they they're very excited. I'm. I'm only hoping that, you know, the things that we have going on in the news now doesn't doesn't uh, put a put a block in the
0: road. Well, I think uh, there are a lot of us hoping that because uh, um, all of us seem to be have have something that we didn't even think would be affected by this that it's starting to be. And boy, I tell you what, we're in a, we're, we're in unprecedented territory here with this whole thing. But anyway, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the program again. Thanks for being the uh, choosing us to be the place to make your announcement as well. That's exciting stuff. And like I said, we'll get you back on as soon as we uh, have an opportunity to talk about more on this case.